Thank you for joining us for this message from Cornerstone Community Church in Lynchburg, Virginia. And now let's join our guest speaker. This is my second time ever to preach. Um, So I hope you like the Word of God and I hope you like the Bible. We're going to go verse by verse. um, And we'll be in Philippians 3 if you want to turn there. Um, Let me get my notes out. Um, This summer I, I was an intern at my home church back in Asheville, North Carolina. And um, a couple of people from here, from there. Um, and we, they basically assigned us, assigned me and the other interns to um, make a vision statement or a purpose statement for what we want our ministries to be like. Um, and so coming up with it, it's alliterated, so um, don't judge, but it is alliterated. It's four E's, and I'm going to say it, and so that will kind of preface why I chose this text and why. Um, this is such a dear text for me in Philippians 3, 1 through 8. Um, so I wrote down my purpose statement, and it's four E's. It's, I exist to exalt over the Word of God in such a way as to equip and exhort the saints for engagement in their respective mission fields. So everything I do, everything I want to do, uh, being called to ministry or um, teaching or preaching, anything like that, funnels through that purpose statement and... Um, rejoicing over the word, equipping y'all. We can rejoice over the word together, and then you can feel equipped to go and engage the culture and engage Lynchburg um, and the world. So that's, that's, that's what funnels through my purpose statement. And so, like I said, Philippians 3, that's where we're going to be. And obviously, Philippians is um, a lot about joy, and there's a lot about joy, and, and, it's, and it's littered throughout uh, the book and um, and so it's very near and dear to Paul's heart, and so it's near to my heart as well. Um, and so James McDonald has a very good definition of joy. That's what I'm going to be you know, talking about at the, towards the beginning um, and tie it in at the end. But I'm going to use his definition. So whenever I say joy, you actually know what I'm thinking of. Um, so James McDonald, uh, supernatural delight in the things of God. And so we're going to use that definition uh, for this. And so joy in God or, um, yeah. Join God. So we're going to talk about, first we're going to talk about, in verse 2, the joy thieves. So thieves of joy that can steal your joy. And then verse 3, we're going to talk about uh, protection, like how to protect your joy. And then we're going to look at Paul kind of as his case study. He's going to be that guy, that annoying guy who boasts and everything. Um, and then we'll funnel it to his kind of mission statement or his, his life verse or his you know, couple life verses. Um, and so that's where we're going. So before I do that, um, let me pray over the word so we can be receptive and we can um, rejoice in, over the word together. So let me pray real quick. Uh, Father, you've been good to us. You know how inadequate I feel right now. Um, but I pray that your word would go forth in power and it would bear fruit um, that can be seen everywhere in Lynchburg in the world. And I pray that you would till the soils of our hearts so we can um, see this, apply this, be stunned at it. And love you better for it. In Jesus' name, amen. Um, so the good news is, if you've lost your joy today, or if you have lesser, if you settled for lesser joys than God, uh, that's the good news today. That's the good news today. Um, if you've lost it, you can get that back. Um, I want to start, I want to preface it with that. You can have joy in God, and you can regain it, and Paul shows how. Um, so let's go straight to the text. But before we do that, let's get the context first. So 
Paul was in prison as he writes this, uh, around A.D. 60, 60, that area. And he loved this church. If you look throughout Acts, if you look in um, Philippians at the very beginning, he is in love with this church. This is one of his favorite churches that he loves to talk to, and he boasts in this church. And so, um, like I said earlier, the theme of the book is joy, so you can already pick up on that. So if you want one word to describe Philippians, it's joy in God or um, just joy. That's, that's the context. So now that we have that in front of us, let's go to verse 1. Verse 1, chapter 3. Finally, my brethren, rejoice in the Lord. To write the same things again is no trouble to me, and it is a safeguard for you. So what he's about to unpack in the next eight verses is, uh, I'll kind of state the main point. So true Christians, this is the main point, uh, true Christians worship and glory or boast in God and forsake everything to gain Christ. Um, That's where he's going. So um, he says, finally, my brothers, rejoice in the Lord. So rejoice, that is the doing of joy. That's a verb. That's Rejoicing is um, a, an imperative. It's a command. It's not a suggestion. This is not, if you feel like it, this is a command. Um, rejoicing in the Lord is what you do. It's what it means to be a Christian. Um, and so the next clause, it says, the same things, to write the same thing to you again is no trouble for me, and it's a safeguard for you. So he's being like protective Grandpa Paul right now. So he's, he's being... He's being um, protective of this church, and he wants to protect their joy of what he just said. So he's, he says, I've written this before. Hello, I've said this a thousand times. Um, but he says, rejoice in the Lord. Okay, verse 2. Let's keep going. Um, in verse 2, he says, beware or look out for three times, um, indicating really, really beware. Really look out for these three things. At least I see three things here. And so there's joy thieves that can steal your joy. Um, a couple years ago, I had a truck. I had a big black truck, and it was one of my favorite things. Uh, I got it for my 16th birthday, and um, one night, I, I got home really late, or pretty late, and uh, the next morning, I go in, and the car is unlocked, and it's been, like, broken into, and um, they stole, like, a, like one of those um, iPod connectors that you can put in your car. They can play iPod, and uh, play music and stuff, and so that got stolen, and um, I remember, like, what that felt like, and I remember what that felt like, and, um, but the thing is that I, the night before, had not locked the car, I didn't have automatic locks, so I didn't lock the car, I never, I almost never do that, but I left the keys unlocked, so it was my fault, so I felt, like, angry, uh, disappointed, you know, violated, um, but it was my fault, does that make sense, it was my fault that I did that, so if you have, um, settled for lesser joys, um, I think, and Paul thinks, that you've settled for other things, and you have let these, at least these three things creep into your life. Um, so test yourself. This is um, a testing time. You want to test yourself here. Um, but he, he says um, there's three things that can steal your joy, at least three things. Um, number one, it says, um, beware of the dogs. So dogs, so these, these teachers, these bros, they were adding to the gospel. These guys were um, constantly going against Paul. He constantly calls them dogs. It's everywhere in the Bible. First uh, and Second Timothy, uh, the pastoral epistles, he's talking to uh, these people, these teachers, and he calls them dogs. Um, so people who are adding to the gospels, who are constantly against 
the gospel, and they're constantly going against him. Uh, okay, so then it says, just keep going, beware of the evil workers. Um, so evil workers, this is um, people who are doing sin. They're infiltrating the church, and they're sinning. They are, uh, it's overt. It is, um, they're, they're working for it, so they have a system. Um, sin can also steal your joy. Plain and simple, sin can steal uh, your joy in Christ. So let's go. Keep let's keep going. Um, verse or keep going for the last one. Beware of the false circumcision. So this is more of like a historical encounter with certain individuals, um, with certain people. Acts fifteen, um, Romans two. Um, basically, in a nutshell, real quick, uh, the Jews thought they you know, they were in covenant with God. Um, and with by through Abraham, and um, they had really in reality they had no inward reality of of circumcision. So they they thought that they could boast in this. They thought they could uh, bank on their heritage. And uh, he says that those who mutilate the flesh literally circumcision. Um, and so they were commending themselves to God with that. And this is a historical thing. You can. Um, Read about it. So this is all over the early church. This is what Paul is constantly dealing with. Um, and, and basically what that boils down to, that last one, is performance theology. May, commending yourself to God. Um, performance theology. And Paul saw these guys as a, as a hindrance to what ministry he was doing. He saw these three things as hindrances and, and blocks that, that block your joy in Christ. And so he wanted to free them uh, from performance theology, sin, um, Boasting in other things except God. And then he tells them at the very beginning to rejoice in God. So he tells them to rejoice. Um, and that's my goal as well, to protect you. That's what Pastor Ruley does, is to protect you, to not add to the gospel, not to dilute it, um, but to revel in it and to rejoice in it. And so that's what Paul's job was. And so that's the very first thing. Right off the bat, he tells them what to beware of. And then, um, verse 3, there's a kind of a... Um, Logical flow. So verse 3, if you go to verse 3, um, it says, For we are the true circumcision who worship in the Spirit of God and glory in Christ Jesus and put no confidence in the flesh. And so th- these are joy safeguards. These, these guard your joy in Christ. Um, so he says, For or because we are the church. So the church, um, these are both descriptive and prescriptive. So these are describing true Christians, and these are also um, prescribing or giving the antidote to um, true Christians and to how to find joy in God. So verse 3. Um, so let's, let's take them each at a time. And so there's three things to be aware of, and then there's three things to um, make sure you're doing or make sure you're applying to yourself, or um, this is what true Christians look like, or this is how you find joy in Christ. So um, worship. So this could quickly become a to-do list if you say you worship. Go worship. Go worship God. Um, that can quickly, if you're not careful, turn into uh, legalism. That's what the Jews were dealing with. That's what they dealt with all throughout the Gospels whenever Jesus is talking to them. Um, and so if you say worship, it becomes a to-do list. And, and if you don't add that last phrase, you worship in the Spirit. So worshiping in the Spirit um, protects you from sin, protects you from adding to the Gospel, it protects you from... Um, finding lesser treasures or lesser joys in Christ. Um, but the thing is, naturally, nobody worships in the Spirit. Nobody wants to. I don't wake up and want to worship in the Spirit. 
Um, nobody does. People that are not saved don't. Um, it's not attractive to them. So, um, in the spirit is key. And so, um, worship, um, there's a lot of things you could say about worship. There's a lot of sermons you could say about worship. Um, but it's not just music. It includes music, um, definitely. People love to bag on the lifestyle of you know, worship. And it's, you know, it's not just congregational. It's how you live. Um, and I totally agree with that. But um, there is a corporate aspect to that. I'm worshiping right now as I uh, preach. And as you listen, you can worship. Um, but it's a corporate thing. So it's kind of a m- misunderstanding to just say it's how you live or how, what you do. It's, there is a corporate aspect to um, singing songs, um, lifting your hands, all these verbs that you can do. Um, that's worshiping, but you do it in the spirit. So how? What is worshiping by the spirit? I want to answer that question. So spirit, what is seems abstract, it seems confusing. Um, but in the immediate context, there's a lot you could say, but the, in the immediate context is probably the next two phrases. When he says, glory in Christ Jesus and put no confidence in the flesh. That's at least two ways how you can worship in the spirit. Um, so let's look at those. Um, so it says, glory or, or worship in the spirit and boast in Christ. Um, there's a lot of synonyms you could use um, for this verb, but uh, exalting with a U. Not a. Exulting is rejoicing plus worshiping. It's not begrudging, um, rote memory, do the motions. This is worship plus joy that is all over the New Testament. It's all over the New Testament. Um, let him who boasts what? Boast in the Lord. That's what you do. That's what it means to be a Christian. That's what it means to be a Christian. Boasting in the Lord. Glorying in the Lord. That's what it means. Um, this is not duty-driven. The 12 disciples were not duty-driven when they um, were following Christ. This was joyful sacrifice. This was boasting in Christ. Anything that they would commend themselves, uh, they fors- forsook um, in order to boast in Christ. And, um, and that's what we need to do today. That's what I want to do. That's what I did this week. That's what I tried to apply this message to myself. That's what it means. Um, this is not uncontainable emotion, or this is uncontainable emotion, but this is not um, a sport or a golden calf. This is, finish it, it says glory in Christ Jesus. In Christ Jesus. It's, it's not just boasting. There's a lot of things you could boast in. It's boasting in a person. Boasting in a person, Jesus Christ. And so, that's key too. So, his work, your faith, um, you looking away from yourself, by faith, looking away from yourself every day, looking away from yourself and trusting in his work. And that's called preaching to yourself. That's what's called preaching to yourself. It's like talking to yourself. Um, that's what you should be doing with specific scriptures, specific things um, through your mind. And that's preaching to yourself uh, what's in your account. That's what it means. Uh, boasting in Christ Jesus and nothing else. Um, that's key. So that's the second thing that can protect your joy in God. So if you're doing those two things, if you're worshiping the Spirit by boasting in Christ, um, that's what it, that, is, that is a Christian. That's what it means to be Christian. That's what you need to check yourself and, and, and look inside your soul right now um, to see. Okay, and so let's look at this third clause, and it kind of unlocks the rest of kind of the, the preceding verses. Um, and put no confidence in the flesh. So flesh, what is that nature? That's your, that's your nature. That's what you wake up and that's how you feel. Um, so you put no confidence in yourself. It's another thing. 
It's both prescriptive and descriptive. It describes what a true Christian is, putting no confidence in themselves. You're not all that. And then it's also um, meant to apply to your life. It's what it's meant to do. So you do those three things, worship in the Spirit, put no confidence in your flesh, and um, glory in Christ Jesus, or boast, or exult, whatever um, word you want to use. Those are all three synonyms. Um, And so this unlocks the rest of the text, and it has eternal significance because um, Paul is about to be that guy. He's about to be that guy who puts his resume up, and it is a very good resume. So he's, he's being that guy, and he's going he's gonna to kind of be um, the annoying know-it-all or the one-upper. Um, we all know those, but he's going to be that guy for about two verses, and so let's read it. Um, verse 4 through 6, I'll just read it straight through. Although I have myself... Confidence in the flesh, even in the flesh. If anyone else has a mind to put confidence in the flesh, I far more. Circumcised on the eighth day of the nation of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, as to the law, a Pharisee, as to zeal, a persecutor of the church, as to righteousness which is in the law, blameless. Um, So let's real quick unlock kind of what that means, because this is a lot of stuff. There's a lot of historical background. There's a lot of confusing things if you're not from that time period. So real quick, um, let's go phrase by phrase. Circumcised on the eighth day. That's nothing too cool. Um, Jesus did that. John the Baptist, Jews did that. Circumcised on the eighth day. Not a big deal. Um, Okay, so of the nation of Israel. Um, So he's boasting in his heritage, his lineage of the tribe of Israel. So he's He's adding to it. He's building the resume. He's putting his background, uh, his credentials. Um, so the chosen people. And so it, it sounds, when you, as you go through this, it should sound a little childish. Should It should. When you get through it, you're like, mm, okay. Like, it should sound childish. And I think Paul would agree, but not now. Right now he's putting forth his resume. Um, okay, of the tribe of Benjamin, Hebrew of Hebrews. So what a boast is that? I, looking into this, this is... Um, the favorite wife of the favorite tribe. And so he's boasting in that. So he's, I mean, that's really one-upping. Um, the favorite wife of the favorite tribe. So that is a major boast in what he could have boasted in. To commend himself to God, to commend himself to others. Um, using his authority, he could totally be doing that right now. Um, so he's, he's like, I'm not some, some bro. I'm not some guy um, who, who's some schmuck. I'm... Uh, from a pure family. From a pure family. That's what I do. That's what I am. Um, which is massive to what these people are reading. If they're reading this, this is massive. Um, okay, so next, next one. As to the law of Pharisee. So, law, Torah, first five books of the Bible, memorized, quote it, chapter and verse it. He could do that. And there's a couple, there's, I'll just name two characteristics of Pharisees. Um, at least. There's a lot of them, but at least two characteristics that are important. Um, so test yourself. Um, two characteristics that we know that Paul probably did. He hated Jesus and he loved the praise of man. So that is scary. He, all throughout the, every gospel, you could see that they hated Jesus, constantly <coughs> hating him, and they loved the praise of each other and the praise of other people. And they constantly loved that. So we could probably draw the connection that Paul did too. Um, and he was also trained under Gamaliel, who was probably like the ultimate like Jewish Yoda. That's probably what he was. That's probably what I would call him. 
he was like this little Yoda guy who could come and, and, and train other Pharisees. So a Pharisee of the Pharisees, and um, Paul was his student. So we know at least that. Okay, next clause. As to zeal, a persecutor of the church. Now, we might be zealous for college football started. We might be zealous for that. We might be zealous for um, our certain team or basketball or any sport or any uh, movie that we, you know, try to advertise or, you know, boast in or anything like that. Um, we may be zealous for that, but I would probably bet that none of us would kill other people who differ, in our opinion. We probably would not do that. We probably would not go around killing people who didn't agree with us. Um, but Paul did, and that sounds really radical. Um, but that's how zealous he was. So he wasn't some guy who was an intellectual. He wasn't intellectual, but he wasn't just that. Um, he was a doer. Like he, I mean, even though it was murder, he killed people. Um, he was doing what he thought was legit. He thought it was. He thought he was doing something for God, killing these Christians. He was so zealous for that, for the law. So he wasn't some guy who doesn't apply anything, who doesn't do anything. He was a doer. He was a very good doer of that, of, the, of, of what he thought was correct. So, um, and then the next one, the last one, is probably um, the craziest of all if you read it. Um, as, to the, the, as to righteousness under the law, blameless. Now that is crazy. So he, it confused me at first, but what he's saying that he has no fault and he was untouchable. Absolutely untouchable. If you wanted to levy a charge against him, if you wanted to um, check the skeletons in his closet, none. As to righteousness was from the law, blameless. Did all the sacrifices, cleaned by his standards. Um, absolutely untouchable. Elite of the elite, untouchable. And, and I want to take a pause here because that's when he stops the resume and then he goes to verse 7 and 8, which is very familiar if you... Um, have read Philippians or are kind of familiar with um, Christian t-shirts or anything like that, you're, you're familiar with these two verses. It's, um, but these, these unlock, it's, so you're, we're leading it up. So he built his resume, and then he says this. And Paul's really a weird guy. He's a weird guy. Um, look at what he, now look what he boasts in. So let's, let's see what he boasts in. Um, I'll just read verse 7 and 8, and then we'll unpack it and um, apply it to our lives and uh, we'll keep moving on in the service, but really, really see what you can see. What you can see here, see what you can um, rejoice in. See what see what he wants to rejoice in, or what he boasts in now. Um, so, verse seven. But whatever things were gained to me, those things I have counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Verse eight. More than that, so he expands it. I count all things to be loss in view of the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things and count them but rubbish so that I may gain Christ. Now that is a crazy statement, a couple of verses. Absolutely crazy. So now he's this man um, who is in love. and He's completely repentant of what he does. This is not someone who's dismissive of his resume, who kind of puts it in the back corner. He is completely repentant for what he boasted in. This is a man who has been broken. Um, between verse 6 and 7, he seems to be broken. And he realizes um, what he needs to boast in now and what he needs to glory in and what he needs to worship in the Spirit. Um, and it all centers around knowing Christ. That's the gain of life. That's, that is the goal of your life. That's why you exist. 
Um, so, but whatever gain I had, so my skills, education, heritage, family, it, all those things, um, all those things, he repents of it. Um, he, he had gain by the world standards. To say he didn't have gain is, is, is incorrect. To say that he didn't have gain, um, at least in a temporal sense or in a worldly sense, um, he definitely did. He definitely did. He walked with the best. He talked with the best um, before salvation. Um, and then he says, okay, I count as loss. So he sees his gain that was significant by the world standards. He sees it and says, loss, right off, done, repentant, away with it. He says it's loss. And then in verse 8, he expands it. So more than that, more than that, I count all things as loss. All things. All things. Anything you could boast in, name it. Name something. He could write it off as loss compared to what he's about to say. So um, this is not rote memory. This is a man who has been uh, captured by love and he has been um, set free in the most amazing relationship in the universe. In the most amazing relationship in the universe, Jesus Christ. So this is what he says. Let's keep going, just word by word, phrase by phrase. Um, here we go. Um, Count all things to be lost in view of the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. So surpassing value, it's a value that's greater than anything in this world. And he says, knowing Christ. And so knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord, is why he suffers. It's why he does the things he does. Knowing Christ, getting other people to know Christ. Um, knowing Christ through his word, through his people, through the spirit, boasting, all these things, his life culminates in knowing Christ because he didn't know Christ. He thought he did. And then he repents, and then he knows Christ in a deeper way now. Um, so compared to knowing Christ, everything is lost. Um, and then he says, um, knowing Christ. So knowing Christ is not facts, obviously. This is about a reconciled relationship. This is not facts, merely. Um, he repents of his religion. That's what it is. That is what he's doing right now. And I think that um, as you look in the depths of your heart and you kind of look around and you evaluate what you value and what you um, love or cherish or treasure, um, then that's what hopefully you can just word for word just repeat what he just wrote in Philippians 3. Um, there's a verb for this, what he's doing right now, and I want to name it. There's a verb that I think perfectly illustrates what he's doing. And it's treasuring. I kind of said it earlier, but he's treasuring Christ. Um, that's a very good word. If you're to treasure something, uh, you protect it, you hold on to it, you, um, you value it. Everything else looks kind of lame when you know what treasure you have. Um, that's, the, that's what he's saying. And so please don't think of Christianity as losing a bunch of stuff. I count all things as loss. Scary. It's pretty scary. I count all things as loss. Um, that is a scary thing to say um, compared to what we have here in America, what we think we have, what we want and desire someday. Um, counting all those things as loss is pretty scary. Um, 
But don't think of Christianity like that. Don't think of Christianity as losing fun or losing opportunities or losing uh, other treasures. You, you forfeit those idols, call them, uh, and you gain Christ. You, you gain the most amazing relationship in the world. And that's what it means to be a Christian, um, as we've seen. So knowing Christ is the goal of life. Um, there, I want to, uh, let's go to Matthew thirteen forty four if we can on the screens. Um, so what does it mean to gain Christ? As, as I was reading through this, I'm like, gaining Christ, what, what does that mean? Like, what is gaining Christ? It's kind of an abstract thing. Um, and I think Jesus has something to say about what gaining Christ means, or counting all things as lost. So he gives a one-verse parable on, I would say, a commentary on verse 8, verse 7 and 8. And he illustrates it by a man who's found a field. So go there if you have a Bible, Matthew thirteen, forty-four. I'll go there as well, and I'll read it. Matthew thirteen, forty-four. The kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in the field, which a man found and hid again. And from joy, or in his joy, he goes and sells everything and buys that field. So when I read that, I was stunned, and I, I knew that, that there has to be some connection with verse 7 and 8. There's a perfect combination of, of illustrating what that means to gain Christ. Um, if that's confusing to you, I want, don't want you to be confused. I want to bring clarity to what that means, to gain Christ. Um, so, what, what did, so you have a guy. The kingdom of heaven is like a treasure. So there's a treasure in a field, chilling over there. And he stumbled upon this treasure in a field. And he covers it up and looks around, makes sure there's no one that saw him do this. And then from his joy, not begrudgingly, not um, out of duty or anything like that, from his joy, which is key because verse 1 talks about that, what we've already seen. So from his joy, uncontainable emotion, from his joy, he goes and buys and puts all his stock, all his eggs in one basket, that field. That's what he does. Um, and so, to me, I think if you can see the combination, if you can see um, counting all things as lost, I saw I had other fields or whatever, I don't know, and I stumble across this treasure, and I see it, and I cover it up, and in my joy, I'm going to go and count everything as lost so that I can gain that field, so I can buy that field. That's what it means to gain Christ. That's what it means. Um, in, in your joy, you go. So when you, when you were saved, this is what happened to you. This is what happened to you when you were saved. Um, when you came to Christ, uh, he looked attractive. You put all your stock in that, and you repented of the other treasures. So other fields look really lame when you know this treasure. Other fields look really lame in comparison. So you sell everything, count it as loss, so that you can gain Christ or this field. And that's, that's how the parable um, interprets each other. They're, they help each other out in this regard. Um, but, so I'm, I'm asking myself, I asked myself this week or, you know, weeks gone by, why should we care? Why should we care about gaining Christ? Why should we care about um, rejoicing in the Lord? Why, why is that a non-negotiable? What's the big deal? Um, why, why should we worship in the Spirit? Why should we um, forsake our resumes, put it away, repent, and, and 
display God's value by treasuring him? Why, why should we care? And I wrote down some things. I put down, these down in my notes. Um, so going back to the kind of the first three verses, here's one reason. People don't send God their resumes. He only accepts one, and that's Jesus. And um, religion doesn't cut it. So you have these, these guys who committing themselves to God, being a pain to Paul, um, and these re- religious zealots. And so he was one of them. And so um, you don't send your resume to God. You don't come to God to do that. You come to God to receive his grace, everything he is, and you come to receive that. Um, so he only had, accepts one resume. That's why you should care. Um, because if you don't, bad news bears. So reason number two, this is, why, this is why you should care. If you are to strive to rejoice in the Lord, going back to verse 1 through 3, if you strive to rejoice in the Lord, you must know how to fight the enemies of the gospel that can rob you of your joy. So now you know. Now you've uh, been equipped. Now you can read this for yourself. Now you can apply this to your life. You must know the enemy. So sin, uh, performance theology, we're wired that way. We're wired to win approval, to be um, somebody. We're, that's the way we're wired. So now you know. Now you know how to fight for joy in God. So that's, that's another reason why you should care. Because they'll rob you, absolutely rob you of your joy. All right, reason number three. It sets you free, kind of like what I talked about. It sets you free from performance and banking on treasures that are small and insignificant. When you're settling, God doesn't look good. Does that make sense? I hope you get that. When you settle for other joys, not God, you're settling and you don't make God look good at all. No one wants to see you settle. Other people are settling. Lost people are settling. Um, for other joys. They're trading away what they have or what they could have. And so when you do that, as Christians, as we do that, the church doesn't look good. Jesus doesn't look good. Um, it's, it's a mirage in a way. So you, that's why you should care. You should definitely care uh, to value Christ, to fight sin and fight these three things, and to worship in the Spirit and to boast in Christ and look away from yourself. When you look away from yourself, Jesus looks really good. Because you display his value. Um, other, yeah, like I said earlier, this is what I wrote down. I love this. Other fields look lame when you know the treasure of the universe. They look totally lame. They look stupid. And that's how you fight sin. That's what it means to fight sin. Counting everything is lost. Everything is lost. Everything you, could, everything you can imagine. Get a journal. Write it out. Anything. Name one thing. Name things. You can't. If you do that, Paul says you look. Make Jesus look good. Um, and so, number four, this is the last one I put. Um, displays God most fully. When you count everything as lost and you passionately pursue joy in God and passionately pursue um, displaying His surpassing value and knowing Christ and treasuring Christ, when you do that, you make God look really good. Really, really good. Um, it, it frees you from... Sin, and it also frees you to give, frees you to give cheerfully. Building fund, tithing, uh, hobo across the street. Like it, it, it saves you um, from holding on to things that are small. When you treasure Christ, this is lost, I don't need this, give it away. 
that's what it means to give cheerfully as well. So it frees you from doing that. It frees you to boldly evangelize. It frees you to boldly evangelize to the community, to talk about it. You're not fearful. You're fearless. You're bold. Because you know that you have a greater treasure than their approval or um, rejection or anything like that. So it, it affects every area of life. It affects everything. Counting everything as loss. Um, and it allows you to obey the first commandment. It allows you to obey the first commandment, fulfilling the law. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, and soul, and strength. You can fulfill that. Worshiping in the Spirit, boasting in Christ, looking away from yourself by faith. Not, not to be stunned by you, but to be stunned by Christ. Loving Him with everything that you are. That's what it means. That's loving the Lord your God with all your whole heart, mind, soul, and strength. That's what it means. Um, and it frees you to be safe and secure in the best relationship in the world. You want freedom. You want security. You want love. You want approval. Um, know Christ. That's what he says. Know Christ. Um, not facts, but a relationship. That's what he says. Um, and when you do that, you treasure Christ. That's the verb of doing these things. So you treasure Christ and you forsake your field and, and, and get that parable in your mind. And you live that out. This church is, and this you know, liberty and all the colleges are going to be filled with Christians who worship in God, worship in the Spirit, boasting in Christ. That's what I love about this church because um, I almost lose my voice singing so loud today, and uh, things like that. You start sweating, and you—it's—it's it's, that's what it means. That's what I love this church. That's why we came here. Um, that's why I came here um, as a freshman. So it's been four years, and I love this church. And that's—if there's one thing I can say, and that's what I kind of summed up. So um, that's what I want my life to be about. So to rejoice over the over the word in such a way as to equip y'all and to put some bullets in your gun to go fight um, the world, Satan, sin, and to not just say no, but to say yes to Christ. Say yes to him and his will and the knowledge of him that can transform your life. So that's why I picked this passage. That's why we just go straight through it. Um, There's not much else I can say. Um, as far as adding to this, Paul passionately pursued God. And he passionately pursued God in such a way that makes him look good, and then he can command others like us to rejoice in that. It's a very good thing to count everything as lost. It's scary, but you gain Christ and you gain a relationship that can never be taken away. So that is the sum of my ministry, the sum of my life. That's why you exist, that's why I exist. Um, and that's why I chose a big, massive, massive text, a massive idea, because you need that. You need a big gospel. You need a big God. Um, as college students, as people in Lynchburg, as business people, you need a big gospel. You need a big God who can satisfy you, and, and you can display him. And that's, that's it. That's all I have. Um, let's, let's rejoice in that. Seriously, like, like, let's rejoice in knowing Christ. That is going to be our one boast. That's what I want my one boast to be. Um, that's what I want my treasure to be. Um, and when I do that, God looks really good. Thank you for listening to this message from Cornerstone Community Church. We are located in Lynchburg, Virginia at 525 Old Graves Mill Road. You can find us online at cornerstonelynchburg.com. Contact us by email, cornerstonecom at comcast.net or call us at 434-847-4796. 
We pray the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine on you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance on you and give you peace.